Isaiah chapter 40, and if you are just joining us for our Christmas series, what we've been doing is taking some of the prophecies, some of the promises of God in the book of Isaiah, which was written 640-ish years before Christ came into the world, and these are the promises of the Messiah, the one who would come into the world to be the deliverer, to be the king of his people, the savior of his people. And so in the past couple weeks, we've talked about that Messiah uh, being the one who would be Emmanuel, God with us, who would be the one who would bring uh, light into the world. And now this morning, we're going to talk about how this Messiah is the one who brings comfort to a hurting world. And so what we'll see this morning is that Jesus came to bring comfort to his people to all the nations, in all the nations. I had just finished listening to a podcast this past week. It was one of those storytelling podcasts, which are very popular these days. And it was called, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And if you are familiar with Mars Hill Church at all, you might know what that podcast would be about. But it, it basically talks about a very well-known pastor who's, uh, who planted a church in Seattle that Seattle blew up, as in like it, it exponentially grew very quickly. And in many ways, the teaching would line up theologically with where we are as a Reformed church. Um, they preached the Bible. They taught the Bible. But what began to happen is the pastor of that church, after his church began to grow, he his focus, and the, the story really actually does a good job showing what his intention and heart seemed to be at the beginning of that church plant, that he was, he was all about the kingdom, all about Jesus' church, all about Jesus being the head of the church. And then towards the end of his time there at Mars Hill, it, it seemed like he started to make it all about him. And that he was the head of the church, and if you didn't follow him, and get out of the way. At one point he actually said, if you're not going to get on the bus, you're going to get run over by the bus. Uh, things like this. And, and so this pastor became really well known for having a very brash harsh, borderline, inappropriate, I wouldn't even say borderline, borderline, inappropriate approach to pastoral ministry. And he was not defined by characteristics that you see in the Bible for not only pastors, but just Christians in general, things like gentleness and patience and mercy and kindness. And so this pastor, the, the church ended up uh, finally kind of pushing him out and, and doing all these forms of church discipline, and the church completely fell apart. They tried to plant several different campuses out of it, and it just fell apart under a bad sense of leadership training. Uh, it, they had made it all about this one specific personality and not about God's word, not about Jesus himself. And so it's really a sad story. It's a warning because what you see and what um, what we in the Reformed tribe is sometimes what we get called. And I'm all about theology. I'm all about following the Bible theologically. Um, and, and, and so one of the things we are known for is our Reformed theology. Now, the way I summarize Reformed theology is grace. 
that we acknowledge it is only by grace that we are saved. It's, it has to do completely 100% with God saving sinful people. And so if you believe that theologically, what the outwork of that should be is that you become a gracious person. Unfortunately, in the Reformed world, you get a lot of people who love being right, who love being intellectual, who love being theological, and often get described in such words as hard or harsh or loud or argumentative or proud or critical or judgy. There's even a phrase that we give to people who have just been introduced to Reformed theology who get all excited about Reformed theology that they just have to let other people know about it. And if other people don't listen to them, they get almost proud and, and arrogant. And that phrase is cage stage Calvinism. Throw them in a cage until they kind of soften up a little bit. And so what I'm here to, to tell you is Though we believe in theology, in good theology, if that produces a people that are not gentle, not kind, not gracious, not merciful, then we really haven't understood our theology well, and we're not living that out well. And so what we're going to see this morning, and really what my prayer has been this week, is that we would see Jesus this morning, the real Jesus, the Jesus who Isaiah describes as a gentle, kind Savior, who is a comforter for those who need comfort. So if you would, Isaiah 40 is going to be our main text, but as you'll see, I'm going to actually use Isaiah 40, 41, 42, and 43. I'm going to be kind of pulling verses, because this is all one big section that that Isaiah is writing about God's promised servant, the one who would come and be a comforter and a savior for his people. So Isaiah 40, starting at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense 
before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's pray again. Holy Spirit, as we come to this text and others in this passage, we pray that you would speak to us gentle and kind words, comfort those who are hurting, help those who are suffering during this time, hear the good news of your salvation, but also the good news of Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to point out from this passage, and again from the surrounding passages, is that Jesus came to bring comfort, he came to bring salvation, and because of that, we can proclaim his good news with confidence. Jesus came to bring comfort, he came to bring salvation, and because of that, we can proclaim his good news with confidence. And so we see in this first passage, and I'm going to, again, have your Bibles open because we're going to flip a couple of chapters to the right in a second. But in the first two verses here in Isaiah 40, we see this theme of comfort. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now pause for a second, and let me just put you in the context of where, when this was written. If you know anything about your Old Testament timeline history, this is written by Isaiah to the people of Israel who had completely rebelled against God, and because of that, were in exile. They were taken into exile. They were captured, in other words, by an enemy who did not believe in God, taken into a foreign land. And Isaiah is now writing to these people, and he's telling them, be, be comf have comfort. See, they're suffering. They're being enslaved. They're, they're wondering, is God going to come? Is he going to deliver us? Is he going to show up? And what's the promise from God? Be at peace. Comfort. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now, if you would, just flip over to Isaiah 41 for a second. And look at verse 8. It says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Look at that. He calls his people his friend. That, that he is with them, but he's also a friend to them. And then Isaiah 42 verse 2 says again that this, this Savior who would come, this servant, is not going to be a loud, brash person. It says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This, this Jesus, keep going, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench, but he will faithfully bring forth justice. You see, this God is saying, I, I'm going to be gentle to you. You feel, you feel like you're at your wit's end? I'm not going to put you out. You feel like you can barely hold on anymore? Well, I'm not going to pull, pull the, the, the stool out from under you, right? A, a bruised reed I will not break, a faintly burning wick I will not burn, point, put out. But I will be gentle with you. I will be kind. I am here to comfort you. This theme of gentleness again in Isaiah 40, verse 11, comes up with this picture of a shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Again, we just read about how a bruised reed he would not break and a smoldering wick he would not put out. The, the themes that you see in these chapters is this picture of a gentle, kind, patient Savior. And I want you to think about for a second this picture that he gives us of a shepherd with his sheep. Now, we, we've gotten used to terms in the church like shepherd and sheep and tending for the flock. And we forget that culturally, those were kind of offensive terms. Um, in, in other words, sheep are dumb. They're not really smart animals. And they actually are very, very timid and easily scared and anxious animals. So I was reading a site about um, uh, becoming a shepherd, shepherd care, how to take care of sheep. Uh, it was pretty interesting, but I was just reading on this to figure out, okay, if I was going to become a shepherd, what would that take? And so they list out five things not to do around sheep. I was like, this will be helpful. And one of those was you can't use any loud noises. No yelling. You can't, you can't, be, uh, you can't show up loudly and you can't move quickly because sheep easily startle. So if you're going to be a shepherd, you got to work slow. You got to work slow. You got to be calm. You got to kind of make your presence known before you come into the flock because sheep can be easily startled. And I know we, we hear about sheep dogs and things like that, but uh, typically they encourage you not to have dogs around sheep because dogs move quick and dogs are noisy. And really the only time to use dogs in sheeping is when you're trying to shoo them off to one other place. But generally, you don't just have dogs around sheep because they'll get startled and anxious. And then they have they release stress hormones and they don't listen well. And then they won't eat well. And all these things get thrown off if, if sheep get stressed or startled or scared. And, and so this is the picture we're getting of this Messiah who would come, this servant of God who would come and be a savior for his people is that he's going to be a, a good shepherd. He's going to be a gentle, patient, loving shepherd who's kind, who gathers his lambs into his arms, who speaks tenderly to them because otherwise you're going to scare off the sheep. John Calvin actually said, he said, a pastor needs two voices, one to gather the sheep and one to scare away the wolves. And we, we've gotten used to the term pastor. I've talked to some of you about this before. We've gotten used to the term pastor. And um, in, a, in a small southern town, a pastor in some ways is a, a position of respect. And it's someone who often is kind of put on a pedestal and catered to and um, a lot of times you know you got to put on a, a good face around the pastor around the preacher and uh, in some ways in a small southern town the pastor can become somewhat of a little celebrity in town um, and I don't say that you know hopefully that doesn't sound arrogant but <laughs> right here I am pastor in a small town um, but, <laughs> but my point in saying that is the term pastor 
when that was introduced to the New Testament church, just like the term sheep was not a, a title of respect. It was a title of servitude. Shepherds, which is what the term pastor means in Latin, shepherds were one of the lowest, most outcast jobs in society. And for Paul and, and others to say that the leader in the church, the one who's going to teach you and lead you, is going to be like a shepherd, was really doubly offensive. One, because it's saying, you, leader of the church, you're just a servant. You're a lowly servant, serving the good shepherd, serving really the head of the church. And you people, you're just like sheep. <laughs> and, and so I want us, first of all, to see this is who we are, but God knows who we are, and he's a God of comfort for us. He's a God who is gentle to us, who knows exactly where we are. And so what does he say? He says we can have peace, that we don't have to fear. We see in, in the next couple chapters, 41.10 says, Do not fear. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. You see, even though sheep are easily scared, and remember he's calling us sheep, he's saying you don't have to fear. I'm a good shepherd, and I'm going to send a good shepherd for you, and this shepherd will take care of you. And so the first thing we see in this promise of this, this Savior who is to come, this servant who is to come, is that he will bring comfort, that he will be gentle with his sheep, his people, and he will bring them peace, or we can have peace because he is with us. And we talked about peace a little bit more last week, so if you want to go back and listen to the last part of last week's sermon, you can hear more on how Jesus brings us peace. But for this week, let me just stop and try to apply this first point. Gentleness. So if Jesus came as a gentle Savior... Does gentleness describe you? If people were to think about you and your name came up in conversation, would gentleness and a comforter and kind and patient and merciful be one of the first descriptions of you? Probably wouldn't be one of the first descriptions of me, depending on who you ask. And so... Um, that's just something, first of all, to think about. Jesus is a gentle Savior, and as one who is saved by a gentle Savior, do I show his gentleness to others? Is the Spirit producing the fruit of the Spirit, which includes gentleness in my life? And so that's something to ask. Another thing to ask is, if Jesus is a comforter, how can I help show comfort to others? Um, you know, one of the, the common things that we do, and I don't know if this is, um, I don't know if this is a Southern thing or if it's just a, an American thing or if it's a world thing, I don't know. But um, sometimes we can have the tendency, if somebody shares something with us that's really hard, or if they tell us about something that they are going through or have gone through, we can have a tendency, uh, again, maybe I'm just outing myself here, maybe I have this tendency, to try to jump right in and fix the situation. Or, or use the situation to kind of teach the person some kind of truth about God. So if they're, if they're going through a really hard time, and 
your first response is, well, all things happen for a reason, and God's in control. That's true, but probably the thing they need to hear is, wow, I'm really sorry that you're going through that. That has got to be hard. You see what I mean? The difference there? It, you want to be someone who is present, who is listening, who's there to bring comfort in the situation and not fix the situation or fix the person in the situation. Their theology might be way off at the time, but it's not your job to fix it up right then and there. Amen? Amen? So if Jesus came to bring a comforter, I mean, Jesus was probably the best theologian out there, right? And you see, time after time, he's not teaching people theology. He's healing people who are hurt, which we can't do. <laughs> but he's just there. He's present with people. He's a comforter with people. So that's the first thing. Jesus came to bring comfort. The second thing is he came to bring salvation. Look again in, in Isaiah 40, in verse 11, it says, He will gather the lambs into his arms. In other words, he's going to go out when these lambs are scattered all over the place. He's going to go back in and patiently gather them back in to himself. We get another picture of this in Isaiah 41. If you go over to Isaiah 41, verses 8 and 9, it says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. You see, the picture we get is that Jesus is a Savior who gathers his people from the farthest places. He goes out for them. He goes out to get them and bring them into his flock. When Jesus talked about this in John 15, and when he said, or sorry, not John 15, John 10, when he's talking about being the good shepherd, he says, I have sheep in other places that are not in this pasture. I must go get them. He's talking about you and me. That's who he's talking about in that passage. That, that we were those sheep who had gone astray. We were those sheep who were wandering off in the farthest corners of the world. And Jesus went into the world, came into the world to gather us to himself. So if you're sitting in this room this morning, trusting in Jesus for the salvation of your sins, that's because he came and got you. Not because you figured it out. It's because in his grace, he chose you, as he says here, I chose you, and he sought you, and he brought you into himself by the power of his spirit. Salvation is all of grace. It's all God's gift of salvation to us, gift of grace to us. So he saves us and he redeems us. He says in verse 2 of chapter 40, Say to her, in the last part of this, Say to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. In other words, your sins are forgiven in Christ. And even though you deserved punishment in hell, what you have received is forgiveness, but not only forgiveness, life eternal with God in heaven. That's, that's the idea of, of double for all of her sins. It means he lavishes upon us grace 
upon grace. That he saves you from your sins, he forgives you, but above and beyond that, he provides and cares for you and promises you everlasting life forever. And so that, that's a good work of salvation for us, isn't it? That he has saved us and redeemed us. And then what does he call us? He calls us his covenant people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah 43 also uses that term, my people, when in verse 3 it says, For I and the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So he's talking about how this is that covenant language. We've talked about this a lot in this church. Covenant language, meaning when God made a promise all the way back in the Old Testament to when he would establish his covenant with his people, what would he say? He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's covenant language. What he's promising is he will be with us and we will be with him forever. And that first week when we talked about God, Jesus being our Emmanuel, being God with us, that's the promise of Christmas. Jesus came to be with us so that we could be with him forever. That we would be his people and he would be our God. In Hosea, another Old Testament prophet, Hosea 1 and 2, we really see a very vivid picture of this. Hosea was told as a prophet to go off and marry a prostitute. And the Lord told him, you're going to marry a prostitute because this is symbolic of my relationship with my people, with my bride, Israel. That I'm married to her, but she's unfaithful to me. My people have been unfaithful to me. So, Hosea, I want you to be a symbolic representative of my relationship with my covenant people. Once you enter into a covenant with this woman who is a prostitute, she's going to be unfaithful to you, and you're going to remain faithful, and you're going to pursue her. Because that's exactly what I do for my people. And so he marries this prostitute, Gomer, and they have some children. And in verse uh, 6 of Hosea 1, it says that Gomer conceived and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to her, call her name, no mercy. For I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Okay, so that's pretty sad. And then she has another child and says, I want you to name this child, not my people, because Israel will no longer be my people. That, that seems pretty dire, doesn't it? That seems like a pretty harsh judgment. These people who have been unfaithful to me, you know what? I'm not going to have mercy on you, and you're not going to be my people anymore. Well, just one chapter later, at the end of chapter 2, it's almost like the Lord just can't take it anymore. And in chapter 2 of Hosea, starting in verse 14, it says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He's talking about pursuing his unfaithful wife. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Does that sound familiar? And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of the acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the womb of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call, my, call me my Baal. 
For I will remove the name of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down. And then, I'm, I'm a little ahead of myself. Uh, go down to verse 23, if you're following along. And I will show her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. You see, this is the promise of salvation. That those who had not received mercy would receive mercy through Jesus Christ. That those who were not God's people would become God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came. So that we could be his sheep. We could be a part of his flock. And we could be called his people. And he would be our God. So let me just say, if you're a Gentile, what do I mean by that? That means you're not a Jew. We might, I don't know if we have any Jewish descent in here. If that's true, then that's great, because you can also be a part of God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. But my guess would be, we're all Gentiles in here, meaning we're not coming from Jewish descent. If that's true, then this message is your good news. You are not a part of God's people. But God went through Jesus Christ to the farthest corners of the world to bring you into his family by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? I, I'm a Gentile. I don't deserve to be a part of his people. No one deserves to be a part of his people. But by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we get to be counted among God's people. That's really good news. And so the gospel, really, this is what the gospel says. Jesus came for sinners. He came for those who were unfaithful to him, who continue to be unfaithful to him, who are disobedient in their covenant relationship with God, and he continues to pursue us by grace. And because of his mercy, he has had a mercy on those who don't deserve mercy. And because he is a faithful covenant God, he has welcomed us in to be a part of his people, those who were not a part of his people before we came to saving faith. How did he do that? By sending Jesus into the world to live a life of sinless perfection, to die on the cross for the sins of those who would trust in him and who would rise from the dead, promising and confirming the hope that we have through life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Christmas. Christmas is not only about birth, it's also about Jesus' death and resurrection, which through that, we can be saved. And so what do we do with this good news? If, if Jesus came to bring comfort, if he came to bring salvation, what do we do with that? Well, Isaiah 40 tells us that as well. It says to cry out to the world, look verse three, or sorry, verse, yeah, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now this, is, this passage right here, these next few verses, is what John the Baptist ends up quoting in, in the Gospels. And this picture that we get is the picture of paving a road. So if you drive out that way towards Lexington, and you, know, you go down Highway 1 towards Lexington, what do, you, what do you see? 
You see a lot of road construction happening. You see the, you know, the orange cones all over the place. And what are they doing? Well, if you paid attention, all the high places they brought low and all the low places they filled in to bring it level. Why? So that more traffic can get from here to Lexington and from Lexington to here. They're paving the road, they're leveling out the road so that traffic can come. And what is Jesus saying or what is God saying about this? He's saying, listen, your two-lane highway going out to the world isn't big enough for the gospel. You need, you need to widen the road and level it out and make way for the king. Jesus is coming and we're going to proclaim his good news to the world. And so it says in verse 6, cry, what shall I cry? He says, cry that the, the grass is weak, the flower fades, but, and then in verse 8, the word of our Lord stands forever. Therefore, go up to a high mountain, herald of good news, and proclaim this good news to the world. You see, if we believe Jesus came to bring comfort, and if we believe Jesus came to bring salvation, well, what can we do with that? We can share that good news with others who need it. Let me just read for you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. There's those terms, comfort and salvation. And we are, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which we, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So let me just try to wrap this up with a couple of points of application. The first is, are you going through a hard time right now? You can answer that hypothetically. If you're going through a hard time, whether it's you've, you're grieving because people are not here that you wish could be here with you, if it's physical suffering, spiritual agony, mental agony, anxiety, are you suffering right now? If you are, let me just first of all tell you, Jesus came to bring comfort in every situation. And he is with you. And he is a gentle, kind Savior who will be with you in your pain and in your suffering. And so if that's you, just pray this season that Jesus would show his presence and his peace to you in a profound way that no amount of teaching could really do, but just because he is with you and you experience his peace. But then the other thing I want to say is, kind of what Paul has said here, if you are suffering or if you have suffered, part of how Jesus shows up to you in your suffering is how he will use you 
to comfort others. And, and I just think of a few people that I know who have gone through just terrible agony, loss of loved ones, pain, physical suffering. And some of those people who have gone through that are the kindest people I know. Why is that? Because the Lord has shown up for them in their suffering. And if I'm ever going through something, usually that's who I want to go talk to. Because they know how to just sit with you and, and, and comfort you. And so if you are suffering, yes, it's difficult, but in a way, in some kind of weird gospel way, that's God's grace in your life. It's a severe mercy where he's saying, you can trust me and depend on me, but also you might be a tool for me to help others. And then the last thing I want to say is, again, to go back and reiterate this idea of, um, uh, of being a shepherd and being gentle and being kind. You know, in Luke 2, when the angels showed up to the shepherds, that it was like, why, why shepherds of all people? Society's not going to listen to shepherds. Uh, you know, they're not important. I actually heard this past week on a podcast that the shepherds who were watching the sheep, this was a time when people were coming and they were, they were probably going to be sacrificing lambs and all those things. And most likely the sheep that they were tending were sacrificial lambs. They were lambs that were being tended and cared for for the purpose of sacrifice. And these angels show up and say, what do they say? Today is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You're not going to need those sheep anymore because the good shepherd who is also the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. And so if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is your comforter and your Savior, then you too can proclaim this good news to a hurting and dying world who needs forgiveness from sins. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for your mercy for those who are without mercy. Thank you for your love for those who have betrayed your love and been unfaithful to you. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for gathering your people, your sheep, into your flock. And that those who are not your people can be called your people through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that this season, you would mark us with your gentleness. So that when others see us and think of us as individuals and even as a church, Lord, I pray that Christ Community Church would be known by its mercy, its grace, its kindness, its gentleness, its love, and for the gospel, for proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a dying and sinful world. Because we have first experienced that good news for ourselves. Pray this in Jesus' name by the power of your spirit in us. Amen. As we respond.